something as simple as a clinic schedule has gotten changed multiple times throughout the month, that domino effects into unhappy patients and me being unhappy in my medical space. And this is what I do to who's going to pick up geo while we're doing that? Like all these little things, what's dinner like while the sitter's getting geo, what are they going to eat? Like all the nitty gritty. And then going to Sanjay's field, his stuff is, is time sensitive. It's hard for him to cancel time sensitive procedures. Clinics are in one thing, but it was rough. And so I wish someone had told us this. Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, podcaster, and sitting across from me is my very salty co-host. And I am Sam. I am a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are talking off the clock about what it's like being married to medicine. Mm, this is going to be such a good one. This is actually one of my faves. Uh, this couple, you guys, they were just the sweetest of sweet, the gem of gems. And they have the most beautiful, smart daughter Their ever. Daughter, you, she was here with us in the studio. She's better behaved than Tori and I. 100%. Like, hands down. <laughs> like, she was so sweet. We loved her. We had so much fun. We can't wait to get into it. So, in the meantime... If you could head on over to iTunes and double tap that five stars, yes, we will love you forever. We love you guys. Thank you so much for all your support. Yeah, even those just tapping that five star, fabulous. Thank you so much. Those things are the things that keep us going, that keep us going through the ranks, increasing our uh, exposure of the show. So thank you, you guys, for doing that. And it's helping us bring a lot of good things to you. So we appreciate all the support. And because of that, we're actually able to bring you Bali. Woo! It's official, you guys. We just announced it this last Friday. We are officially going to Bali April 2022. Not 2021 because I keep, Tori keeps writing 2021. I'm like, next year, Tori, next year. When I posted it the original the first time, I uh, I put 2021. And guys. I'm like, it's, it's May. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we are officially going April 21st through the 28th. Snorkeling, volcanoes, breathtaking views, crystal clear waters, sunset drinks, eight Island days. hopping, beach expedition. We are so excited. Sunrise hike, hot springs. Yes. Monkey sanctuary. So. Sacred temples. <laughs> what else? Everything. I keep going. Snorkeling. I'm not going to snorkel because I'm afraid of fish. <laughs> I'm going to go and work on my tan and watch you beautiful people do it. I'm so excited. Okay. A uh, couple hot things for you guys. The link, if you want to register, the link is in our bio on our Instagram. The first eight people to register receive 25% off and guess what five of those spots are already gone you yeah, guys there's three early bird pricing spots left and who knows by the time you even listen to this they might even be gone yeah. but if they are still open jump on them because yes. they're going so quick we are so excited there's actually only 20 spots total and honestly the price of of the actual trip is so good you guys we, we for really, everything that's included yeah, hotels we, yeah. airport transfers a few meals I think it, like all seven breakfasts a few lunches a couple dinners all the excursions listed are included and all the transfers to the hotels and everything too. When we were planning it, we really tried to make it as reasonably priced for all of you. So we are so excited. Um, we can't wait. The so. best part too is to book it. You only have to put 25% down and then it's May. So yeah. we have until next April. So 25% down and then you can make payments on it throughout the year. On the best trip of your life. With us. Boop. <laughs> 
All right, married girl, single girl, life tip of the week. So married girl, where what have you been up to yeah, lately? Yeah, okay. Tell, tell so, us. So I had a hot girl weekend. I went, actually helped host a bachelorette weekend. It was actually one of my best friends. It was her younger sister's bachelorette. So I was, I kind of went along as, you know, the help, the help. The help. Were you a <laughs> chaperone? <laughs> Were you chaperoning? Chaperone slash coordinator. I love party planning. It is definitely in me. I just wanted to do all the fun things. So I went. So I was on the trip. We had so much fun. We went to Palm Springs, did it up, you know, did the whole amazing house. We went out for a fun dinner. We just did like pools by the drink or drinks by the pool. It was so much fun. Okay. So I was on my way back and um, one of our good friends, his dad made a comment to Jake because I wasn't home yet and they were at a dinner and he looks at Jake and he was like, she's at a bachelorette party. And Jake was like, yeah. And he goes, isn't she too old for that? Okay, time out. Doesn't Jacob still go to bachelor parties too? Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, what is too old? Do people stop? I mean, first of all, a lot of our friends may be on their second marriage, so there's that. Yeah, we, you might get a second round of bachelorette yeah, parties here um, soon. I would be so lucky, okay? Right. But here's the thing. I just don't under... Okay, my mind was baffled. Are we too old for bachelorette parties? No. I'm like, I, I'm what just is so too offended. I, I don't know. Like, even if you had male strippers there and you, like, yeah. you're still not too old. What is too old? <laughs> I don't know. I was just um, thinking about this. I was like, am I too old? No. I mean, I may have been a bachelor. I was hosting or help hosting. Okay, well, you look so hot as fun. fuck. Thank you. Appreciate so. that. Yeah, so you're never too old to go on a bachelorette. That's the long story short of that. I just, um, yeah, I don't know. I was just shocked by that comment. And what does that even mean, like, as in too old because you're married already? Too Maybe. old, like. I feel like even if you had you and Jacob had kids, you're still not too old. I don't know. But um, you're not too old to go on bachelorettes, ladies and gentlemen. I have to say, even being a single person, I get that too old comment all the time, too. Mm. So I'm just going to pop off on a single go. girl life tip having to do with that. I, I've been told I like dress the way I dress. I'm too old for that to wear crop tops. Well, I'm sorry. I have no torso and I just look better in a crop top. <laughs> And I don't go to the gym six times a week to not wear whatever the fuck I want. Uh, so, I did get you into mom jeans. You did. I love a mom Ooh. jean on you. It's so good. But I still wore it with what? A crop top? You did. I wore it with a crop top. But it looks good. So I just don't get like what's too old. Okay, but so here's the thing. This is where I'm, you and I agree on this wholeheartedly. Where society telling you how you should be is just I'm so annoyed by that you should have kids by this age you should have you know be married by this age you should act this way if you're this age it's just so annoying yeah I am none of those yeah it's just annoying and I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want (laughs) so I don't know I think as a single woman though you do start to get this like pressure of well, you're too old, so you should settle down. Or you're for too, us, yeah. um, you've been married for so many years, you should have kids right now. You know, I mean, every there's pressure from every. You do everywhere. have a kid. It's called the Selfie Podcast. Yeah, thank you. And it is a thriving child. And you child. have a Rambo and a Moses. Oh, and boy, plants. Do I. And, and plants. <laughs> I just think the concept of too old is offensive. It's so annoying, yeah. And I'm not one to be, like, easily offended, but don't tell me I'm too old for anything. That just means that you're too old to have fun. yeah. You might be too old, but I sure as fuck am not. <laughs> Do not let society dictate how you live your life. Yeah. Or I, anyone else. No, no. Don't exactly. worry about other people's opinions. I think that's the biggest thing about being single. Because sometimes I do start to second guess myself. Like, all right, maybe I... I'm like pretty immature, you guys. Mm. Maybe you've caught notice that. <laughs> such a fun part of Maybe you. you've picked up on that from following Facts. my Instagram. But I 
feel like I have a very high stress job and a very professional job. You have two stressful jobs. Yes. And I am playing like life-saving nurse all day or I'm playing college professor all day where I have to act professional. And then when I get done with that, guess what? I take those hats off and I leave them at the door. So if I want to go twerk at the gym, mind your fucking business. (laughs) I don't care if I'm too old. I've had people be like, aren't you a professor? Yeah. Do you see me at work? Do I look like I'm on a campus right now? No, I'm at the gym. So let me twerk. Mind your business. But like why, what is it about that that just people think it's unprofessional? Like I don't get it. Or why yeah. you think that you shouldn't? I don't understand. Why can't you just have fun? Why do yeah. I don't, why do you have to be professional 24 seven? I'm professional when I need to be professional. And then I have fun when I want to be fun. Life is too short. And Life is yeah. too short not to twerk. Exactly. And I'm never going to be too old. Honestly, I hope that when I'm 80, my knees are in good enough health that I can twerk when I'm 80. Yeah, that is that. a lifelong goal mm-hmm. of mine. I'm putting that out there That's right now. One. I like this goal for you. Well, unpopular opinion. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because we are rolling this. with that. This yeah. is like our new fave thing. We'll we'll bring back question of yeah, the week we for sure. But we are just having so much fun with unpopular opinion. <laughs> okay. So I was thinking about this this weekend when I was on my bachelorette because it happened a couple times. Okay. This is either going to date me so much as a hardcore millennial 30-year-old or this is going to be the most provoking thought forward thinking thing I've ever said. This might bring the people together. Okay. Uh, You're going to be on one of two sides of this. I much prefer a phone call over a text. If it's something that I, if you need my attention, call me. I do not want to text you. I'm so over being front of my phone. I need, if, if it's, here's the thing between emails and DMs and being in front of the screen and all these things, I'm just at a point in my life where if you want to talk to me and you want my undivided attention, you have to call me. Okay. I am so split on this and I feel like people (laughs) are supposed to just be mind readers and know what I want because if you want to call me just to chit chat, I will look at my phone like it's a disease. If it's ringing, I will stare at it ringing because I don't want to cancel it because I don't want you to know I sent you to voicemail. So I'll just sit there and watch it ring and discuss like, why would you call me? Like, ew, I don't want to talk the on the plague. phone to you ever. But I also don't respond to texts. Yes. Someone told me, my friend told me, he's like, I get treated better at the DMV than I get treated by you. Uh, because I literally just, he's, it'll take me three to five business days to reply to a text. What? Do you answer DMs? Yes. Because I'm like on DMs. I'm on Instagram doing businessy shit more than I am. Yeah. Anything. Text messages. I don't know. I respond in my head and then I forget about them. <laughs> Me too. And then I'm just like, oh, I didn't reply to that. Oh, it's been three days. Oh, I'm an asshole. You and I are both in group texts with our, our other best texts. friends. And I hate them. I just, I'm at a point where like, I can't, I can't I either. I see it. Great. I'm mentally like you. I mentally, I mentally respond. respond. Yes. Or I just, I am in the middle of something and it's just, I just, it, it doesn't work for me anymore. I realize. Basically, I just don't want a lot of human interaction at all. So don't call me ever, but also I'm not going to respond to your text. But if you send me, if you DM me a TikTok, I will 100% watch it and laugh. So that's my love language. Just send me memes and TikToks and we're good. Other than that, I can't respond. But if I actually truly need to talk to someone to like get an answer, I do prefer a phone call. We call each other a lot. Yeah. So this morning I had to call Tori about something and I was like, I could have texted it to her. I could have waited for her to read it, text me back. And then I would have had to respond and go back and forth and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, 
we don't have time for this Mm-mm. shit. So I just called her. She answered. We had a 60-second convo. Done and done. Not to mention half the time you're driving. Yes. Or I'm driving or something. And I'm like, I just, I would rather do a phone call. I mean, it's funny, too, because one of my brother's best friends made this comment to me literally years ago. And because he used to call me and I never used to answer him. I used to text him. And I'd be like, why are you calling me? I used to call him out on that. And he literally basically told me what, I, what I'm saying now. And it's funny because I'm like, he was so forward thinking then. And here I am years later. And I'm like, yeah. Lights. I see the light. Yeah, I just think it's well, okay, and here's the thing. Like, for example, with emails, emails is a little different, but I don't want a whole freaking novel in an email. Like, I would rather get on a phone call with a just brand get it sorted out or someone just to sort it out sort it out. This back and forth and back and forth, it's just so annoying to me. To me, I'm like, let's streamline this, get on a quick phone call. So much easier. You know, that's my Yeah, my sister and I were even texting back and forth today about some plans for some showers and stuff and I just called her I was like I don't, yeah, uh, it's annoying I don't have time for this back and forth shit like let's just figure this out but also don't call me ever to chit chat because I don't <laughs> want to talk to you and I read my mind answer. read my mind also don't send me voice notes I fucking hate oh okay voice notes. can we talk about voice notes can we talk about guys sending voice notes oh. I feel like they do it because they don't want you to screenshot them and roast them oh, in your group chat anymore thing, or have huh? evidence of like what they said that's what I feel like. When a guy sends me a voice note, I instantly don't trust you. Why are you sending me a voice note? It sounds shady as fuck. Totally. Right? Okay. Here's my theory on voice notes. Uh-huh. Are you ready for it? I don't mind giving them, but I don't want to receive one. <laughs> this is where I'm at. Okay. I appreciate the honesty. Well, because here's the thing. I actually do think they're very personal. I think it's like nice because I have done. Don't it a send me a times. voice note if you're a guy that like we've been on one date. Right? I, no, I, no, I just, instantly I, distrust I, you. I mean, when I'm talking to one of my girls or one of my followers, you know, like I actually think it's really personal. But getting him back is really annoying. I don't I know. Don't. I think it's weird when people like voice note me even on Instagram too. I'm like, why the fuck are you <laughs> voice noting this? It's just weird. Yeah, or like, like that's it. another thing where I've had friends send them to me and then I forget them. I never open them. So yeah, there's a thing. Communication. Here's here we are, 2021. This is the best. You know. Anyway. Maybe we're really old. We're dating ourselves, but I'm here for it. Honestly, I just think it sums up my personality so much where I'm like, I'm okay with this, but only if it's this and under these circumstances, <laughs> but then I like it this way. And I just expect you to understand in which situations the best form of communication to deal with me. And maybe this is why I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so easy Amen to get us. along with. Yeah. Well, here we go. Okay, you guys, let's get into it with the guests of the week. This week, we have a true power couple. This episode is spicy. We talk behind the scenes with an actual married to medicine couple. Yes. They are both physicians. We talk about how they navigate their marriage, parenthood, and balancing the stress of their individual roles. They also open up about their struggle with secondary infertility, and we really get raw and into that today. Yeah, I think this is such a big topic that so many people can relate on. We really get into that today, you guys. So who are they? Dr. Flora Sinha. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician. She is married to Dr. Sanjay. He is an interventional pediatric cardiologist. So we discovered Dr. Flora. She is over on Insta where she has the most passionate, inspiring account where she talks about improving physical and mental health. She shares her life as a physician, a mom, her married life in a dual physician household. She talks about balancing motherhood and medicine. And of course, Dr. Sinha. He is a board certified pediatric cardiologist who treats neonates and children with cardiac anomalies. In addition, he works at UCLA with a pediatric lymphatic 
lymphatic program. They are such a dynamic couple, you guys. We are so excited to have them on the show today. So without further ado, let's dive into the show. Okay, so um, first question off the bat. What is it like being married to medicine? I'll take Sunday on that. Yeah. Um, oh, right, go for right. it. This is this is called a trap. Entrapments. Ah, <laughs> Don't answer. It, no, you know, I, I'll kind of defer to Flora on this one because I've learned. Um, but no, I, it's a lot of trying to figure out what works, when to talk about uh, work and when to not. <laughs> when, you know, we get so caught up in your day. You're doing cases or you're seeing tons of patients and you see interesting things and you you know, when you come home, sometimes it's nice to have that understanding. So you can say, hey, you know, I saw this really interesting thing. What do you think? But if that consumes everything, it's a problem. <laughs> so trying to, we had to learn, you know, we've been together for a long time and a lot of our kind of developmental medical years together, we're talking about the studying together, things like that. And when we started working and especially with the kiddo, you kind of have to put that away and really just focus on this is the only time we have together with our with you know our kiddo and just to hang out and that's um that's, yeah it's that's a balance first. yeah to turn it off right I'm yeah sure. it is and i think we always have to change and adapt as our careers and all of our asks also change so, and then you know having a child in the mix kind of throws everything oh, yeah. for a loop and so there's definitely a, a time and a place to connect over medicine which i think we are grateful for i don't think we let that consume our conversations but it's nice to come to a point where you, know, you can go home and say I had a rough day because of and we have that mutual understanding of you know patient care and yeah. how it can take a toll on your day and how to separate yourself so it's nice to have someone to compartmentalize all that with is there a doctor competition in the house Ooh, <laughs> you know scheduling like if this one is, so I'm, I'm saying this one because our daughter's in the room but if Gia is ill or we don't have child care it's more like all right let's flip a coin of who needs to cancel their schedules because uh. that is it, it it's a huge impact impact on our practice and with Sanjay he has time sensitive procedures and a slightly more unpredictable schedule than I do so I usually take the hit when it comes to canceling my patients but um that's all part of of the married to medicine part of it we want to go back we want to start at the beginning we want to hear about both of your journeys into diving into the medical field so can you guys give a little background about where you guys grew up your childhood your decision to get into medicine yeah so Sanjay and I are an old birdie couple we met in college so this is before our medical journeys we were both pre-med I was a little shaky on my um direction when I was in college uh, compared to Sanjay, but I'm originally from the East Coast. I moved to Arizona when I was in high school. Um, and what is actually really funny is I had heard about Sanjay in high school who Ooh, went to a different high school. Notorious. Um, yes. From what did you a, hear? Yeah. Let's get that. The there's this I, hot I Indian this, right? guy. Like, oh. A bunch of people had this huge crush on Sanjay and I had no idea who he was. And then we got to college and my roommate also heard about him. Wow. That, hey, <laughs> there is this cute Indian guy that maybe you wow. should meet. And I'm like, whatever. It's freshman year. You know, I just didn't pay attention to it. And then sophomore year of college, my roommate and I started a Indi like a competitive Indian dance group. And we were looking for guy dancers. And so my friend 
kind of came back into the mix and was like, hey, there's this guy in my dorm that's a really good dancer. And that's basically how we You're met. You're a dancer? I'm a phenomenal dancer. <laughs> oh, I want to see some video footage. Oh, yeah, we gotta do, do we that. have any of these competitive dance videos? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's something that we will have to dig up. Oh, yeah. We're Are you kind of thankful that you went to college in a time where social media didn't exist? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Because I would be so embarrassed if all the things I did Wait, in college were captured. We're going to give this a shout out to all three of us went to University of Arizona. Bear down. Bear down. Bear down. <laughs> so we're really glad we didn't have social media. Yes. We know all about you Arizonians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard the rumors. Yeah. They're all amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Facebook started our like third year of yeah. college. Yeah. We like, had to have a college yeah. email address to right. even yes, sign up for Facebook, yes. the good old days. Now anyone's it, grandma can That's sign up. how old we are. I, I actually think I asked you out over AOL Instant. Yes. yes. Did you? Yes. That is amazing. We were AIM buddies. What were your screen names? Do you remember? Oh, my uh, God. Sanjay's wow. was something ridiculous, I think. You know you yeah, know it. Monkey tripe. Something like that. <laughs> Serious? Like, why? I don't why? even know why, but that's what it was. Yeah. Mine was Vsurfin101. Oh, that's, oh, that's so cute. boring. <laughs> You. Mine was Flow Flow. So oh, that's like, cute. I love Everyone that. calls me Flow. So. so you guys started dating in sophomore year? Yeah. Okay, wait. So he joined He yes. joined the dance? Yeah, he joined okay. the dance group. And, um, she realized the rumors were wrong. <laughs> She's like, this guy can't dance. <laughs> well, then we also realized we were in classes together. Um, I was like the angry brown girl in the back. He was like the really excited like go-getter in the front of our OCHEM class. That's how I remember it. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it actually ended up, we kind of grew up together in college. I mean, college years are Mm -hmm. different. Early 20s, early 20s. Yeah. So it was nice to literally grow, grow together, develop together. And then there was med school and residency and move. I mean, we've been through a lot of life changes together so gosh i don't know how we made it but we're here <laughs> here on the selfie show yes here you are yes. And here we are here, fast forward okay and let's hear about your uh medical background or like your beginning sure yeah no um i grew up in arizona and um like flora was saying we i didn't know anything about flora until we met with the i wasn't as popular as he was <laughs> um but i you know my parents my father's an engineer my mom um is in medicine but not as a physician she worked in the labs and I remember from an early age, she said, don't be a doctor. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wait, you're the only Indian oh. mom I know who's telling the kid not to be a doctor. Yeah. And she said, I've seen too many docs going to for the wrong reason. And I worked with plenty of those. So there's a lot of like trying to figure out what that meant. Um, and I went into college just kind of saying, I want to do a bunch of random things. I want to find something that's interesting to me. I got involved with HIV and AIDS work, went abroad. And um, that kind of solidified going to medicine for me. Uh, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do all this stuff. Be, you know, I'm not going to get married till I'm in my 30s or so. And then I meet this one, the second year of college. <laughs> and, it, and a lot of our, my struggle was, no, no, this can't be. I'm too young. Yeah. This is this is not a real relationship. And then it, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, that's still not a real, <laughs> real relationship. <laughs> and now look at that ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So, but, you know, we, same kind of thing. We kind of, our life kind of became medical school and things like that. And, and, um. I, I got exposed to my current profession really early in medical school. So I was in I was in the cath lab on a rotation and and saw uh, one of my mentors then close a hole on a on a kid and it was amazing to me and I kind of didn't look back uh, after that. So I'm really excited <clears throat> to talk about that. Into that. <laughs> and how did you kind of decide what what yeah, your calling your was in medicine? Like, how did yeah, you narrow that question. down? So. Um, 
I actually came into college being a business major because one random day my parents were like, hey, maybe you should be a doctor. And I'm like, I'm going to do the exact opposite. <laughs> and so I started freshman year as an accounting major, hated it, failed miserably, which I wasn't used to coming from a South Asian, traditional South Asian family. You don't get anything less than an A. So I was definitely in for a rude awakening. And so then I'm like, let me just dabble into some bio classes. Um, and then I met Sanjay and we kind of did some volunteering stuff together. He went to Africa to do some HIV AIDS um, volunteer work our sophomore year. Yeah, 2003, I think. Yeah. yeah. So the year after, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Let me go ahead and give it a try. When I was in Africa, I stayed with a family um, who it, it was all women. It was like four generations of women. It was so cool. And um, in the program, what we did was offered free testing in these rural areas. And so in our uh, mobile testing site, my homestay sister at the, the day of the testing said, hey, I want to get tested. And it, she was in her teens and I assumed she was sexually active. I'm like, great, that's a smart decision. I think it's really important to show neighbors and other people in the village that, you know, you're willing to get tested and it's important. Well, she tested positive, which was really unexpected. And just helping her not only educate her family, educate her significant other, um, get her medication, which was probably the biggest obstacle going into the cities in Africa and, and just accommodating everything. It was just such an eye-opening experience. And I just said that to myself that, you know, the U.S. healthcare system is very different, obviously, but just the idea of educating and helping was really cool so let me go that i think that confirmed my decision into, go, into, into going into medicine before that i was again still really iffy um medicine was it was really daunting. i mean it is still a very daunting profession, profession and incredibly competitive mm -hmm. and just the nature of all things medicine it wasn't like the green grass butterfly type feeling and that's what I gravitated towards. And so um, that feeling really just, I, I held on to that during med school and during residency and during every challenging <laughs> obstacle that we went through during our time. So um, something that I know, it, this is actually very, you guys are very passionate about this, is the, the foundation that you guys have created I actually want to talk about that really quick because I think AIDS is something that is sort of actually put on kind of the back of our mind here in the U.S. It's not quite as on the forefront, but I know you both are very passionate about this. Can you talk about the foundation of this and how it started? I'm going to let Sanjay, this is, this is Sanjay's baby. So he took, sorry, I'm speaking for you, but he took a year off of medical school. Um, he deferred a year to develop a program in India, and he's not good at bragging about himself. So oh, I'm just I yeah. a little plug. That's yeah. how you got to have plug your, plug. your cheerleader. Yeah. yeah. I'm here. Yeah. All right. Now you can go for it. A team. Yeah. A team. <laughs> no, it, exactly. As she said, I, I had um, this experience in Tanzania uh, and saw kids and students who don't have money uh, make a huge difference. And this program, all it really relied on was that getting education out there to rural areas. And so at the end of it, I said, this is a fantastic idea. I, I knew there was a need in India. And so I kind of turned to my group and said, I want to take this to India. Who's with me? And a buddy of mine, Eric Cam, who's now a physician in Atlanta, um, said, let's do it. We spent the next year kind of figuring out how to go about doing this. Um, and we went to India and we established this program. So it's a nonprofit that's been in, you know, since 2003, really, we've been running 
to kind of provide fact-based HIV and AIDS education to kids, to adults, to fisher communities, to um, marginalized communities. Um, and it's been very successful. We had, you know, we would teach to something like 13,000 kids a year. Um, we would have 25 wow. volunteers from U of A. We'd recruit them from University of Arizona and Arizona State University. Yes, we worked together on this. Oh! <laughs> and we have this, we have a training session uh, in the in the fall. And so we'd recruit in the fall, train in the summer, and then in the spring, excuse me, and then in the summer, they'd go to India and, and have this amazing experience, both culturally, you know. There's one thing about going to India and seeing the Taj Mahal and seeing these beautiful parts, yeah. but then when you go there and you actually interact with the people and you you just, just get this attachment to what you're doing and it, it's it's been the foundation for so many people i know who said i came to india changed my life and that's now i'm in medicine or i'm in you know public health or whatever it may be mm -hmm. and so we've been doing that for the last 17 years and then COVID hit oh. and COVID yeah. um has been devastating for any ngo really any ngo or nonprofit organization that relies upon international travel international or fundraising in general where we try to, we have galas of hundreds of people together, you can't really do that right now. We can't run our fundraising or running our um, volunteer programs because you can't go to India. Mm -hmm. And so this last year has been, you know, we basically have just run through our, all of our funds to support our programs. Since we started the organization and just with education, now we actually do care and support. So we have uh, HIV positive kids that we support their, you know, their nutritional support, they're getting them to be seen by physicians their caretakers. We have this entire group that depends upon the organization to run. And so we've been just reaching out to former volunteers and our, our foundation to kind of say we need to weather the storm, so to speak, until we can start getting volunteers over there again. That's so excellent. We'll link it in the show notes. So if anyone's Beautiful. interested yeah. in participating or, or donating. It would mean a lot. I got a call from our executive director uh, in India about two days ago saying, you know, if, uh, right now India is getting devastated. By yeah, I just read <clears throat> something about that. That yeah. I think the rates are the highest there than Ever. anywhere else. Highest daily average. And then if you think about that, we all can are in different situations. But if you're also marginalized in India, you're relying upon folks coming to your place to give you nutrition and food, and now that's shut down. You're at that much higher risk. So all of our people that we take care of are at a really high risk right now. And so we're trying to get resources out to them, and uh, it's been difficult. So it's been. Well, it's really a great cause, and I think it's it's absolutely amazing. So we will definitely use that as a resource. And if anybody wants to get involved, which website? Where's the website at? It's uh, it's iapaids.org. Okay. And all the information, links, videos to what we do are all there. Perfect. Um, great. So I want to talk about um, your uh, your field specifically. So let's start with internal medicine. Let's talk about your day to day. What is it like? Give us a little day in the life of, of what it's like to do what you do. Yeah. So I do um, outpatient internal medicine, meaning uh, I just see adults. I see them in clinics. I don't go to the hospital. We have a whole internal medicine hospitalist team that does that. Um, and I, as far as schedule goes, I, there's not very much unpredictability there. It's like a eight to five. I see patients. Um, the unpredictability portion, I think, comes in what I'm going to be walking into. So um, as a primary care doctor, you are the basis of everything. And especially over COVID, um, you know, the instructions were, if you have symptoms, call your doctor. Well, that was me. Yeah. And so it was um, really uh, difficult to continue to stay up to date with all of the changing guidelines, information, so we can counsel patients. And so kind of going back, that's that's what I do. I do primary care counseling. How do we prevent disease before getting the disease? 
when you have the disease? How do we treat to make sure that, you know, together as partners, we can keep you living a happy, healthy life? And then also part of my job is to work very closely with specialists. So if there are disease processes that are outside of the general scope of internal medicine, I can call on my specialist colleagues to help out with management. And it's really it's really awesome kind of coming together and really working as a team, um, you know, to, to guide a patient, to keep them here, which is pretty amazing. And it's been even more amazing over COVID, really. Um, as a lot of us now know that COVID also has been causing a lot of chronic illnesses mm-hmm. and chronic diseases and stuff that we're still just trying to figure out. Um, and so our medical group has made a chronic COVID group filled with uh, multiple specialists. So I can take a patient who I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but who's had COVID, who's had multiple chronic issues stemming from the infection and send this patient to this group where I have trusted colleagues that know what they're doing and are the best in their field to, to kind of help us take care of this patient in the long run. So really cool, really gratifying. How do you stay up on the day-to-day of, of all these of changes? Like, I know because us in, in the hospital, you know, daily by day, everything was changing. And I think that was something that's so hard for people to grasp is just because we said that yesterday doesn't mean that's what it is today and we have to roll with the punches. Like, what was that like for you? In the beginning, I, I have to be honest, it was anxiety-provoking. Um, I was working at a COVID clinic um, run by our medical group in the beginning, and it was tough because we didn't have enough information. Uh, We didn't know really much about COVID. So I would have patients crying under their mask, under their gown. Here I was six feet away. I couldn't touch them. As a primary care physician, I mean, just the, the human connection is so important. I couldn't give them a hug or hold their hands or I I just would stand in my gown and mask and everything and just say I think it'll be okay but really not knowing if it'll be okay that had to be hard it was it was really tough um I would have to watch the news constantly because I would have patients ask me like should I be drinking bleach solutions I, I and I say that rolling my eyes but it was so important that I had to stay up with you them. Had to know what was, absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't want to be blindsided by these questions I've also never had said I don't know so many times um it was humbling really uh in in kind of the newer stages of the pandemic um, and then the CDC, WHO, um, I definitely look to those websites for as as much as information as they could gather and guidelines. Dr. Fauci, who's my hero. Um, <laughs> Shout out to man. Fauci. Yes, yes. Um, I think was also really important. He was really giving out great guidelines too. So in the beginning, that was what I had to rely on. And then as things, I think, developed and became a little more st- I'm going to use stable quotations, but stable, um, you know, it's just important to keep up with the FDA guidelines and research studies and just looking at true data, especially with vaccinations and not very much long-term data and so on and so forth. So, you know, we're just using all of these uh, science-driven data to help guide patients and make sure we try to keep everyone safe. How hard has it been from like an education standpoint because I feel like there's been so much misinformation out and a lot of people don't know how to discern credible sources from non-credible sources. And if they're not in the healthcare field, 
they're getting some bad information and then they're coming to you as a physician. And I think there's even been a lot of distrust in the medical community because they've heard so-and-so from their friend on Facebook and then you trying to provide education. Like, what has that been like? Because I feel like 2020 has been (laughs) tough. Absolutely. It was frustrating, but I think um, approaching friends and patients with – with the curiosity of wanting to know and getting correct information, I think approaching them with understanding and and just true patience um, was really valuable for me to learn. Um, I think it was easy for a lot of us in the medical profession to react with anger and and just yeah. frustration mm-hmm. because <laughs> right because we do so much to get where we are and continue developing our knowledge base. And to have it debunked by someone with no credibility is just really a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. But again, kind of shifting that mindset and saying that, okay, this person's coming to me for information. There's a reason they reached out to me as a patient, as a friend, as a family member. How can I approach this from an understanding perspective and and give them science-based data? And I also, at least with my patients, I'll also send them um, websites, credible websites, um, and even social media sources. Um, to make sure that they get their information from credible sources as well. That's interesting that you say that because I found myself doing the same um, Mm -hmm. as far as social media and finding a lot of really amazing doctors who were putting out some amazing information minute by minute, day by day, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I never would have thought that would be something that I would ever do. But here I am. I'm like, this doctor is amazing. I'm going to share this. This is a great resource. So yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah, I think it's important for... Uh, people not in the medical realm to know who to go to. Um, Social media is very accessible. It's easy. It's it's a click away for just, you know, hands-on information. But if they're getting that information from the wrong and for the wrong people the wrong information in general that's so dangerous and it is that misinformation is still out there i feel like it's interesting it's this balance right because i feel like the people who are putting out bad information are not going to stop so i no. <laughs> i love seeing the the doctors who are coming out who are putting it out putting it out because that's you know that's meeting people where they're at everyone's on social media everyone's well, out i think the hard YouTube. part is doctor doesn't mean physician And so I had someone last week kind of getting, you know, asking me about vaccines and then being like, well, how come this doctor doesn't recommend it? And they pulled up their Instagram page and I look at their credentials. I'm like, this person is not a DO or an MD. They're not a physician. They are, they probably have their doctorate in something. So they are doctor so-and-so, but I'm like, you just see doctor in their name or their title and you just assumed that that means that they're a physician. And I don't think people even sometimes realize that if they don't work in healthcare. So then there's people giving bad information. Well, and I think it's partly, and we've talked about this too a lot. It's on, you have to do your own research. You need to become your own guru. And I think that's a big part of it is being very aware of what you're consuming, where you're getting information. But I do think it's a really important thing for physicians like yourself and people with great presence out there to be putting that information out in the places where people are consuming because which I think has been great because there has been some doctors in the social media space which we used to not see a lot of yeah like people Jump in yeah. healthcare yeah. Yeah. weren't considered social media mm-hmm. people right or whatever or bloggers or vloggers YouTube channels all that so now to actually see that and have very educated people who know what they're talking about giving their time and their energy to educating people in a way that's more accessible because 
are people going to go read peer-reviewed journals? Absolutely. They're right. not. Yeah. But now if they have access to you via Instagram or whatever, that's, yeah. I think, been amazing to see. I mean, I found you during COVID. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, that's kind of the thing. And I agree with you. If there's one thing that came out of this year, which I thought was really interesting, was the medical community really taking to uh, social media outlets or any outlets really to start communicating like worldwide, which I thought was really interesting. There was a couple of Facebooks that I joined where it was uh, provider based only and mm-hmm. just you would get the minute by minute of what was going on and just getting to see more presence and um, I think more representation from the medical profession and the medical field was really interesting this year. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, I, even from non-social media or non-physician medical groups, it's so easy to look at a headline and run with it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think we've also been battling these like catchy news headlines that really doesn't, right. And it doesn't really explain the nitty gritty. Um, and, you know, we can talk about this all day, but I just, you know, looking, just reading the rest of the article, I'm looking at data or just searching um, the the sources. Where did they get these numbers right. from? It, it takes a little extra work, but I think we're all so used to having that, that one click away type information. And I think that's where you know, a lot of the social media medical community kind of came together, which is kind of awesome. I know. It's been so great. Let's talk about your specialty. <laughs> mm. Don't come ask me about that. <laughs> I, I, I look at Flora's thoughts. You're like, uh, <laughs> I'm learning from my wife. I this is everyone her. in cardiology is like, you're dead if your heart doesn't work. <laughs> like the heart is the most important organ in the body. 100%. Um, so let's talk about you know, how you got into this. Interventional radiology or cardiology. Yep. Um, and then also lymphatic, pediatric lymphatic. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, so let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so I, as I mentioned, I, I got exposed. It's very specific. It's a very specialized field. It's interventional pediatric cardiology. Um, I got exposed to it in my third year medical school, and I thought, well, I really like a lot of things. Let me just keep my mind open, enjoy everything, and then I'm sure there'll be something else. And I would constantly come back to this. If we were in the NICU, I'd constantly come back to the cardiac babies if I was in any other service i'd be thinking about this and then i was like why am i fighting this (laughs) just let it happen exactly i mean you have to understand my entire uh undergrad thinking was infectious disease global health all this kind of thing and then i just had to find a way to marry these two together and thankfully within even within interventional pediatric cardiology we do mission trips we do a lot of there's a lot of public health uh, that's involved so it was kind of the best of both worlds um so i came out to, to ucla for my training and I did my interventional training in, L- in Los Angeles as well, and it's just been fantastic. Um, once you get into the idea of, okay, I love what I do, then you start to figure out what are the parts of what I do that I really enjoy. And with intervention, you, you talk to any of us, and I have some great partners at, at where I work now and even in the community. It's We share everything. So if a case is out there that's very strange, it gets blasted out to our listserv and say, have you seen this? What would you do for this? What are the common things? And that, I think, is the most important thing in any specialty to do that. Attracted to me to the field was that element, but then just the very fact that you're able to take a kid, a baby, an adult, whatever it may be, and in the, the time of the case, fix something, right? I, I think I'm, I'm very, yeah, <laughs> I'm like you, a goldfish. Yeah, you literally, want, in a minute, right. can fix right, something. Right, right. It's and crazy. It's, you know, Flora's, um, I think the appeal for internal medicine and primary care is you have that long-standing relationship to kind of do the kind of preventative measures. All of that stuff is... It takes a, a 
different person to kind of really be into that. And I, I commend her for that. For me, I was just very much, I want to fix something. I want to fix something. And not to say that's not the case in pediatric cardiology, because oftentimes it's just a chronic um, management. But the, to be able to be in, a, in, a, in the case, have a baby that's blue and now they're not blue, or to have something massive like a 600-gram baby with a massive PDA and close that up, that's, that's always been fantastic to me, appealing to me. So in my international training, it just so happened that this field of lymphatics and congenital heart disease was just starting. Some of the, our mentors back in Philadelphia had just discovered that this entire field that was not really known well before was the key to treating a lot of our very sick patients. So I teamed up with a colleague of mine at UCLA and went out to Philadelphia and, and just in that same community of let's just make everybody aware of this, get the training we can to fix this kind of thing, um, <clears throat> was able to kind of launch our program and we've been doing it for the last three and a half years, uh, treating patients with lymphatic disorders. That's so cool. Yeah. Can you dive into a little bit of the lymphatic system a little bit and how it affects the patients that you're sure. curious? Sure. Yeah. Like, what is the cardiac, like, lymphatic yeah. connection? Right. So He has to explain this to me because even I didn't know. No, I, like, the nerd in me right now is, like, okay. so excited. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you talk to, if you look at any of the work that our, we've done collectively or our mentors have done, the lymphatics is that system in medical school you learn about and forget instantly. Yes. Right. It's, it's just. Or endocrine. Or, for me too. Endocrine and lymphatics. <laughs> I don't know why. I have to say for teaching nurses who I hate teaching endocrine, but I just did congenital heart defects this week and I could talk about them forever. Yeah. I she love was just like, lecturing on she, congenital she heart defects. She did two full days defects. of lecture and she's, she loves it. That's, so great. That's, it's, but now yeah. I'm like, ooh, I want to yeah. know this lymphatic. Yeah. Tell me. So it just turns out that what we thought was lymphatic was just how you circulate um, lymph fluids and fats in your body. Um, and the problem was we didn't really know how to image it. We didn't really know how to intervene on problems with lymphatics. So we kind of just forgot about it. But in the background, any of our congenital heart patients, they all have problems with you know things that are like lymphatic leaks, things like that. If you have a patient who goes down a single ventricle palliation, the end result of that is that you have really high pressures in the veins, mm -hmm. right? And your lymph system drains into the veins. So if the pressures are too high, it backs up into the lymph system. And then you see a bunch of problems. You see what we call chylothoraces, or collection of fluid in the lungs, around the heart, in the belly. And these are things we noticed really, we've known for a long time in our patients after surgery, even without surgery. And we would do a ton of different things to try to cure them. It's like this and so it was these, you know, we'd throw a bunch of medications that didn't really work. We'd do a bunch of terrible diets that didn't work. We'd keep kids from eating, you know, Keeping mm -hmm. a baby from eating or keeping a toddler TBN from eating is, is torture. It's absolutely yeah. torture. Yeah. And so we found a way that we can actually get into the lymphatics, image them, find the leak. And, you know, at the end of the day, interventional cardiology, radiology, we're plumbers. We, we see the problem, get in there and That's plug something. Can I tell you something that I said in lecture this week that I swore I'd never say to any cardiologist or cardiac surgeon? I told my students because I'm like for peds. It's too for undergrad nursing school to lecture on cardiac in a peds class. I try to keep it as simple as possible because that's way too much to ask of them. So I don't expect them to understand how a Norwood works or what a Fontana is. I just want you to know what procedure fixes what defect. I don't want you to understand. And I was like, listen, cardiac surgeons are just fancy plumbers. <laughs> and I was like, but don't ever tell them that. They won't think it's funny. You're, I was like, this joke stays in this class. It doesn't go anywhere. And I was like, but they basically look at a heart that is formed wrong and they realize that the plumbing doesn't work properly, and then they repipe the heart. 
And I was like, that's what? all these fancy Patrick. cardiac surgeries are. <laughs> I'm like, a BT shunt, they repiped the heart. That's actually genius. And But I was like, but don't, but I was like, they don't have a sense of humor. They're not going to think your joke's funny. <laughs> but then you said it. You said it. So I feel so validated right now. I was like, see, they're very, I was like, they're very well educated. Very expensive education, fancy plumbers. Wait, and we can take it to a different level with you too because you specifically work in the smallest, tiniest population. So the hearts you're working on are a walnut? Yeah, some yeah. oftentimes smaller. We were we were out at a restaurant and um, we were kind of looking at you know, chicken heart kind of yeah. barbecue type thing. It's like, this is about the size of the yes. patient we had today. Like, how... You want to eat a steak? I'm like, this is uh, bigger than the babies I yeah, took care like, of in way the more. Yeah, but okay, wait, let's go back to that because that to me is, you know, you're talking about minute by minute, you're making a change in this patient's life. But how nervous are you on your first procedure you've ever, like that you've done? Like what is your mind going through when you are learning that procedure or when you were first starting like take us there right so i i had the benefit of training with some folks who not only were very good and are very good but they were able to kind of create an environment where it's not um it's not in a, in a way that it's punitive it's not in a way that you are so on edge that you can't focus on what you're doing i think if you talk to many proceduralists uh, surgeons interventionalists you need to keep the entire um procedure calm everyone in the room calm. You want it to be natural. You want everything to kind of flow. And when you do that, it's amazing. No matter what you're doing, it's done in a calm way. And you suddenly look back on the, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been out for five years, four years. But if you talk to my colleagues who have been out even longer, they said it just becomes a route. And even new challenges, that's just the expectation. So you think two, three steps ahead. You know, if this happens, I will do this. And so that kind of gives you that ability to, to stay calm. Now, when things are emergent, things like that happen, you... The first time that happens, you think, I'm going to just freak out. <laughs> I'm going to be screaming. Yeah. Uh, and it's the exact opposite. You, you realize that you've been training this in, this way the entire time, that you calmly go to the next step and you move on to it. And knock on wood so far, it's just been it's been a great experience for that. So uh, a lot of it comes to personality. I think I, I just happen to have that uh, personality in, you know, given to me and, and cultivated in where I was training, even currently with my, my current colleagues. But um, I think that's how I've, I've always looked at it. But it's definitely a little... Um, it's nervous doing that first procedure. Like when we started closing these PDAs in tiny, tiny babies, uh, my colleague and I, who we do this together, we kind of look at each other and say, well, I think we can do this. <laughs> Pretty sure we can do that. Yeah, we can do this. Yeah, Make yeah, it till yeah, you make nervous. it. You know what I love though? You have a very um, calm, approachable manner. And I will say in the medical field, that's, we battle that. The perception. So refreshing. It is, it's refreshing is I guess what I'm wow. saying. Because oftentimes, um, you know, you have the medical professionals that you feel are not approachable and it makes it so much easier. And I think it's so much better for the patients when we have that kind of dynamic. And well, I, we're all on the same manners, team. Yeah. Right. right. And it's so great. I mean, you're, you just have that calm nature about you. Oh, it's thank you. very, yeah, <laughs> I love that. I really respect that a lot. What is your favorite procedure to do? Ooh. Oh gosh. That I know we should do question. the like um, married the newlyweds game. Like, okay, what would he answer is his favorite procedure, <laughs> and then see if it matches. I, I, you know, Flor and Flor knows this. I think the procedures I really enjoy are the ones that make sense. Like, you have this problem, you use this approach, you get it done, and you can see the result. The ones that are the most troubling and the ones that oftentimes are the most uh, stressful are the ones where you. You do the procedure and you have to wait for a while 
in order to make sure it was done. So lymphatics is very much like that. We know we, we got X, Y, and Z, but you were stressed the next two to three days trying to make sure that it, it, it did well. But um, that's also part of it. I, I think I love that. You know, I'll, two in the morning, I'll call the nurse and say, hey, how are we doing? I know. And so I love when okay? doctors do that. And surgeons, I'd so, yeah, I love it when they do that. Like, thank you. Because <laughs> it's, it's also us. It's like we're thinking about it. We're tracking these things. And um, I think that, that part of it, Putting a doing a procedure and, and, and kind of wrapping a bow on at the end, saying, "Okay, we did this." Premium PDAs. We close the whole, we close the PDA. The baby's doing well. Going back to the previous NICU. Those are once that is done, that compartmentalized procedure is now done. It's not just leaving the lab with a oh we we did something in the lab. No, it's like <laughs> the baby or the patient is now better. That's the most. That's a rewarding thing. Um, I don't think I have a particular procedure. I think I enjoy. Um, replacing valves and enjoy closing small baby PDAs. Can we talk about that really quick? Because you, the Piccolo. Sure. So for everyone, <laughs> I love, first of all, it's a fun name to say, um, but for all the NICU people out there, because we do have quite a bit of uh, NICU listeners, um, you started doing this procedure however many years ago? How many years ago? Right. So this, this device was approved in 2019, January 2019. Hmm. Um, really I was cool. already not even a NICU nurse. Yeah. By that <laughs> this is really cool. So we, you know, we, we had colleagues uh, at Cedar Sinai actually who had worked to kind of get this device approved, get it to the FDA. Um, and in my last year of training, I kind of <clears throat> was working in intervention as well as finishing things up. And I said, you know, we, we should get in on this. This is going to be what's going to change baby's kind of trajectory. And so we got involved with it through our colleagues in the UCI NICU and CHOC NICU. And then when it was released, because we had already been involved, they said, hey, you guys are part of the early rollout. <clears throat> so my interventional colleagues and myself, we said, let's get together and let's go to the first training. And so because of that, we were able to kind of be the first group to, to implant these, this device in, in Southern California outside of Cedars. Um, Dr. Morchi, who is my colleague in this, put in the first one in Southern California here. And it was kind of a great success story. You know, we came together as a team, but she would, and I'm not speaking for her, but I think we'd probably say the thing we're most proud about, the most the thing I'm most proud about is not just how many we've done, but we've looked at each one of these procedures and said, how do we not do this, right? Mm -hmm. We can't be the proceduralist saying, yeah, do it on every baby that needs it. No, we got to figure out which is the correct premature baby that needs it, which patient could go without it, which patient could we try other things. And we've really kind of taken that approach. And we built this, you guys have seen this, we built this entire procedure where we have a huddle beforehand. We've set up ways to make sure that these tiny 600 gram babies are transported to the cath lab without temperature loss um, in a timely manner. Everybody knows their job. And if there's an issue, we go back and reassess it. So we've we've developed this really um, holistic, methodical program to taking these babies to the lab, closing their PDA in a minimally invasive way, and then bringing them back without needing surgery. So, that's, so what is it? The Piccolo. So yeah, yeah I guess we should mention it. <laughs> so it's it's a it's, it's like a, a cork. Yeah, the, you know the one thing for the cork? for our NICU, know. our NICU <laughs> colleagues out there and and, and the nursing. This is not a coil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I keep hearing, oh, are we going to coil this? No, no. If we put a coil in these ductuses, it'll fly away. And this yeah. is a plug. Um, it's a very small. I wish we had a video I can show you. It's, it's like if you had a, a quarter size, you know, or a quarter, it's like when you're in a dime. It's a dime. It's like it's a it's tiny a, little. These are three millimeter, four millimeter devices that yeah. go in through the vein in a tiny baby. We are able to watch by ultrasound, by echo of the heart and, and um, in the cath lab deployed in the ductus 
and then get out of Dodge without needing any surgery. So do they and, not have like post ligation syndrome like you would with a normal PDA ligation? Right. No, yeah, that's awesome. exactly right. So I the, needed this when I was goal. still like a nurse. <laughs> that's, that's, the goal. Goal. that's the goal. That's Because post ligation yeah. syndrome gave me I, some long shifts. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what we're trying to ask. We're, we're trying to answer that question right now. Some of my colleagues are running a study called the Pivotal Trial, which they will be looking at. You know, which is, is this the best way to do this? We we think that if you close, uh, if you do a surgical ligation. They can come back very sick. They get this inflammatory thing that happens. We haven't seen that in um, transcapital. So cool. We've seen them kind of be tenuous, but this massive inflammatory thing we, we have not seen. So we think this is still um, the most minimally invasive way to treat these babies. And so, like just like anything else, we we're gonna wait for the data to come out to see if that's, um, awesome. if that's the right thing. I'll tell you right now, talking, looking at our uh, fairly large experience and the larger experiences. In other centers, I, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm 100% convinced. I love technology. I know. I'm so this excited. Is, That's it's cool. wonderful. And, and to think just how, even just since 2019, it's relatively, right. right? What I think is so cool about this, and I can speak to this, I guess, more on the personal side, is what I thought was so interesting is you and the team are so thoughtful. It's almost as if, you know how pilots prep. And, you know, for procedures and you practice and you talk and you debrief and what I, the way, the reason I think it works so well is because you and your team work so well together as a whole with everyone. Everyone's on the same page. There's a lot of communication. Um, I think it's just, there's very streamlined, um, open communication with everyone. And I think that has really driven the success, you know, from kind of the ground up and I think that actually could be a great representation of how so many other things can go in the medical field I think we're kind of going that way of you know thinking more um, strategy with teams Mm -hmm. and that's really I think you're very good at that well thank you you are very good you kind of commented I think the days of the hierarchy of medicine are really over and they should be over you know the idea that oh you can't talk to the surgeon or the physician or you know that the way I look at it is we have one job to do. We have to get whatever the procedure is done for the patient, safely done, bring it back. I have no idea how to hook up a vent. I can't hook up a vent. Nor I do I. Yeah. <laughs> I can bag it, but I don't know how to set it up. If I look at the, the drips you guys set up, I have no idea. So yeah. the idea that it has to always be what the doctor is completely irrelevant. And we've kind of taken our team approach to say everybody has something to contribute. And it only works if we all know that we trust the person doing their job. So the bedside nurse knows how many A's, B's, and D's the baby had this morning. The mm-hmm. RT knows exactly how much suctioning you've had to do. And so we said, why am I sitting here to comment on that? Why Let's bring the entire team together. So we do a, a huddle beforehand, and we go around the room and say, what have you noticed? What have you noticed? What do we have to worry about? And that plays out in the cath lab. If we have some desaturations in the cath lab, our anesthesiologist and the neonatologist who have been probably the, the biggest key to making this a success are in the room saying, you know, this baby was having that last night. Let's try suction. Let's do these different things. And that continuity of what's going on in the unit, in the cath lab, is how this is successful. I think in five years, um, I would hope that we can do this bedside in there. Yeah, I, love I, I really love, I mean, I think the element that you're kind of touching on is really like your leadership and the leadership of the medical teams when it's that collaborative is amazing. I think that's honestly what makes patient outcomes. It's it's wonderful to have a good leader who is who can help delegate and communicate. And um, I'm seeing that a lot more and it's just, it's awesome. And yeah, 
this is stuff that we don't learn in medical school right yeah or nursing school or 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 anywhere this collaborative approach i think can be applied i mean in any field but especially in the medical field we're not taught any of this and even during residency it's a lot of you know residents against the attendings against the nurses against the i mean we really it is a team-based team-based approach we all should be maximized in whatever training we have to work as a team for the betterment of the patient and and oftentimes we forget that because of training or egos or whatever the reason may be so i think it's refreshing to see this especially in such high acuity cases um but even in the outpatient world it's still the same my you know the person that's checking in the front desk is just as important as the medical assistant as the person that's drawing labs as you know as important as the physician going into the room so it's really important to i'm hoping more medical or more training programs are are taking this approach and that's what these are the physicians and and medical professionals that we're producing um to then later do this what you guys just talked about i mean that's amazing but it's a learned process for sure we talk about that a lot well the cool thing about evolving is that at one point you guys were the residents and now you're getting to the point where now you're you're educating the residents so i feel like we're starting to shift with all areas of healthcare. where as we have learned differently and saw what works better now the newer people coming in we're able to kind of instill that in them and we're starting to slowly see those shifts number one question that we get how do you land your dream job well first things first you guys dial in that resume Are you ready for an easy to fill in the blank solution for your resume and cover letter that will help you actually stand out in your job search? A resume is a chance for you to show off and we wanna make sure you look good. Yes, and we don't have time to fiddle around with writing resumes and cover letters when there are exams to be taken, lives to be saved, money to be made, am I right? Girl, you are right. Mm, So you guys head over to spruce up your resume today. Head over to theresumerx.com forward slash shop and use code selfie for 20% off your templates and courses as well. Head over to theresumerx.com forward slash shop. Use code selfie for 20% off your order. All right, you guys, let's hop back into the show. Yeah, we talk about this a lot. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's everybody. Um, Some of our biggest tips is get to know your secretaries, get to know all the people, you know, take the time to say hi and introduce yourself because that is how you start. Oh, okay, I know you. And then I couldn't even function without the unit secretary. They are the backbone (laughs) of the hospital. (laughs) I don't even know how to send a fax. But just developing those relationships and um, it does, it makes for a better healthcare system overall and for the patients and the families. So I hope we're going in that way too. I feel there's a shift that's starting to happen. Um, I think there's a lot more focus on it, which has been really nice. Um, so a bit of a left turn. This is a little bit of a, the sensitive topic, but actually a big one of why we wanted to have you on here today. So I actually heard a podcast with you and Miss Natalie Crawford on um, is it a, a woman podcast? As a woman. As a yeah. woman. And you spoke about your infertility journey. And I think this is something that so many women couples go through um and I think it's so important to talk about and to relate to but you had I just really loved your episode and so I thought it would be really really wonderful to share here and I know you speak about it quite a bit also on your Instagram and so I kind of wanted to dive into this and obviously it's a sensitive 
topic, but um, can you start by walking us through the journey and um, sort of the beginning process and give us a little like backstory about it? So um, I had no issues getting pregnant with Gia, who is now five and a half. Um, And so I kind of already took my fertility for granted. I got pregnant with her very easily. And in my head, I don't know who makes these um, check marks. It's more like, okay, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have another kid and then I'm going to live happily ever after. And that just doesn't happen. So um, Gia was difficult from a pregnancy standpoint. I had had a difficult first pregnancy. She came six weeks early. NICU baby, full-time career, husband and fellowship. (laughs) It was very stressful. And so I definitely, now looking back, was hit with postpartum depression. And by the time I kind of figured it out, got over it, it was per my imaginary timeline, start, it it was time for me to start trying for another. And so Sanjay and I sat down and really had a deep (laughs) discussion Um, And I'm like, you know what? I'm really not ready. I'm just like, I'm all over the place. And I really want to be a good mom to Gia, a good wife, a good physician. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm able to reach any of that before bringing another human (laughs) into this whole crazy mix. Um, So we waited another year and kind of indifferent about it. We started trying six to nine months in. I'm like, this is odd. This is strange. Uh, Nothing's happening. Um, and even being in the medical field, even being a primary care physician who have, who has counseled my patients on infertility and fertility, I had no idea really what was in store. However, my red flags went off. I, um, actually got in to see a fertility specialist who simply told me I was too young and to have infertility and to go grab a bottle of wine and get a weekend away with my husband excuse me (laughs) and at the time but at the time it made sense I'm like well maybe I am stressed I have a young child at home I'm a full-time doc I'm married to another full-time doc commutes and schedules and I mean all the life stressors they were all there so I'm like maybe I just need a glass of wine and a weekend away well we did that and I mean we all need that (laughs) right (laughs) that doesn't necessarily (laughs) it was great advice for that standpoint yeah yeah um she did an initial workup really because she knew I was a physician so I think just to appease me did some hormone labs and everything was normal three more three more months go by and I, because I just didn't get a great vibe from her, I, I immediately switched gears. Um, and That's a hot to, tip for everyone. Yes, it is okay. This is regardless of infertility or not. It is okay to switch doctors if you do not feel comfortable with the physician that you have. And I, and this yeah. is from a physician. This people. is yes. from yes. a physician herself. So I decided to switch REI doctors. Um, and the one that I ended up going with, she was amazing. She was like, you're right. You are too young to have infertility. Why aren't you pregnant? Right. That was a million dollar question. So um, she she was fast. She, we went through a workup and honestly, all the tests were like borderline, not really diagnostic. So I have unexplained secondary infertility. Um, with all the information that we had, we decided to just kind of go through IVF. I didn't really want to waste too much time because I was quote old <laughs> and it was it was just all of these societal pressures really got to me so I'm like I want the fastest way to get a baby period which was presumably IVF yeah. mm-hmm. um our first transfer was unsuccessful 
Um, I stopped using the word failure, like our IVF failed, because no one really technically failed anything. We all did the right, right. stuff, right? The yeah. doctor did all the right things. Yeah. I did all the right things. It was just probability, and it didn't happen. At that time, I don't think either one of us were really in a great mental space. We were super stressed, and it was just such a big burden. And she was really, my, my daughter was really young at that time. And um, we decided to take a break. So we took four weeks off when normally the doctor would just push you through and say, all right, let's, this one didn't go through. Let's, let's start with the next one. But I just wasn't in a good space. And in those four weeks was actually the time I decided to start a social media page to talk about my journey. Um, especially in the South Asian community, <laughs> fertility is just this stigmatized topic. And with so much unsolicited advice and so many opinions that, and so many triggers that I know not enough people were getting exposed to. So I kind of self-reflected on that and said, I think people just simply need education, Um, whether it's, you know, from one isolated person to another going through the same experience to, you know, an older generation, maybe having the secondhand information saying, hey, maybe it's not okay to ask about family planning questions in a routine situation or conversation. So after I started, I kind of went through this huge mindset mindset shift. That's actually when I started listening to As a Woman um, by Dr. Natalie Crawford. Uh, I mean, completely, she was the one that inspired me to open up a social media page. So I thought it was really incredible coming full circle a couple of years later to be on our podcast. Um, we as in Sanjay and I and my doctor were so shocked that the first one didn't work. Um, my doctor recommended that we do a dummy trial per se. It's called an ERA. So you do the whole thing over again, but instead of an embryo transfer, they take a biopsy of the, of the uterine lining. They send that out to some fancy lab in Europe and they test the receptors. So normal practice is you know, transferring the embryo at a certain amount of hours after your trigger shot. Well, that information came back and said my receptors were actually easier to induce a pregnancy in a much earlier time frame. So the third round, we used that time frame. I got pregnant. I felt all of these familiar signs and symptoms. Um, still, I, I was still pretty guarded because we all know the stats of miscarriage and, and especially early pregnancy loss. And it actually did end up in a miscarriage around six weeks. Um, and it was just such an interesting experience going from a physician to patient standpoint. Um, but I still remember the ultrasound and she was searching and she was searching and I, I was looking at the TV and I'm like, I know there's nothing in there. Like that's a, that's a straight up empty sack. I'm like, and I almost said like, you can take the probe out. Like I know, but I was still almost in denial. So I just kind of sat there and I stared and I'm like, yep, there's nothing there. There's nothing fluttering. Uh, and, and then I ended up seeing a colleague of mine, a colleague would be kind. So it was nice to have a comforting face people that I actually you know refer patients to but also a friend to kind of break the unfortunate news and quite honestly I think we both were finally on the same page at that time we were just shattered devastated we had gone through so much and back that we kind of looked at her looked at each other and we're like we have so much like we we're kind of we we're surrounded by a lot by, by a lot of love we have a beautiful amazing child we have our colleagues, our family, our friends, and it was just, 
we were present but not really present because this last two years have been just like these crazy ups and downs so let's just stop and really be grateful and take everything we have in and that's what we did that was almost two years ago and it's kind of it's been really nice to just revel in what we have because you know what not very many people have that can I ask what the process was like for you as a partner what what are some things that you were able to do maybe some tips for someone who's out there that is a partner of someone going through something like this you know we we're, we're chatting about this um i don't think i really appreciated how much you kind of just focus on um the the science of it uh if when you suddenly get this package of shots and this and you're measuring things you know it's something i do every day but i kept thinking if you had never given a shot if you had never drawn up medicine yeah. how could you do this and by the way you know Needles is not something that Flora was really into. No, I, I am a physician who's needle phobic. I pass Most out. Most healthcare providers are, yes, I feel I like. I pass out with lab draws. I have them lie me down. I, I, it's yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. So when I saw those needles, I'm like, there's no way you are going to poke me. It's a great place to start. Yes. But he did. He did a wonderful job for but a that, very long I mean, time. What I wasn't really prepared for is the idea of giving a shot to your someone you love. Mm-hmm. Um and knowing that it's painful and the whole process was traumatic it's you know you do i'm like on youtube trying to figure out what's the best way to do it, what's the prep stuff you're like looking at I went you're back a doctor to, oh, on youtube I, I love it i went back to anatomy books like looking at where you know what's where the nerves running where is, is there anything you can do to kind of make this less painful and we finally had this kind of this way to do it down by the end i think where it was like less painful but i mean that whole thing i, I wish i would have known that beforehand right to not, you know, the stress of that. Mm-hmm. And then, the, you know, there's a guilt. It's like, I should not be stressing about this because it's all, you know, the hard part about this is what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just kept all that stuff to myself. <laughs> so, that, you know, you don't feel like you can. Yeah. I, looking back, I think I would have been nice to have reached out and talked to somebody who was on my side of things, right? Yeah. To kind of see that perspective, to know it's not, you know, it's okay to be not okay with some of these things, right? When, when we found out that we lost... Uh, the embryo, you know, it was in the middle of a just a crazy day in general. And you're, I think this is common with many partners that they want to be there for their partner as they're going through this. And you're constantly just being there, being there, being there. And then suddenly it, it comes out in other ways. Like you'll be doing something completely non-related to this. And suddenly you'll just break down and be like, oh, that has That's to do with this, right? Yeah. That has to do with this. So I think the biggest thing is if you're going to get into it, if you're going to do IVF and, and as a partner, just talk to somebody who's done it and not talk to the, the patient, but talk to the partner. Flora's been talking about this and I've, you know, we've met other colleagues and friends who've been doing this. That's what I've done. I've kind of said, you know, what did you go through? What was the kind of stuff? And we laugh about funny things too. Like mm-hmm. the fact that we all did the same thing. You know, we have a group of other physicians whose wives went through IVF and the husbands and I got together and we said, so you went to this YouTube video? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your shit. favorite injection yeah. site? Did, yeah. Did you buy a bunch of random things that didn't work? Yeah. Yeah. We did that too. So. Um, even just having something to make it a little bit lighter, because as Flora said, that time was extremely stressful, extremely, you know, um, difficult just by running two physician lives, making sure that we're trying to be there for Gia and then kind of having some time where you close the door and do the shot thing and then come back to me. It's, it's a ton of things. And I, IVF I, is a full-time job. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody told us this. And to have already two busy full-time jobs in the mix and adding yet another one was just 
the biggest mountain I feel like I've climbed and I don't to this day and we we typically travel quite a bit too I don't know what we, how we did it. I, I don't know how we maneuvered through so many schedules. And mind you, this isn't like a, a set schedule. Things can change at any point in time. If hormones are not where they're supposed to be or they are supposed to be earlier, your entire schedule gets changed. Your life revolves around it completely, at that point, right? Completely. And so something as simple as a clinic schedule has gotten changed multiple times throughout the month. That domino effects into unhappy patients and me being unhappy in my medical space this isn't this is what i do to who's gonna pick up geo while we're doing that like all these little things what's dinner like like while the sitter's getting geo what are they gonna eat like all the nitty-gritty and then going to sanjay's field his stuff is, is time sensitive it's hard for him to cancel time sensitive procedures clinics are in one thing but it it, it was it was rough and so i wish someone had told us this this is not like a do do let me just pencil it in it's, it's not like that <laughs> how do you think it has impacted your medical practice because now you guys have been providers for a long time and now you've been on the opposite end as patients do you think that's kind of changed the way you even interact with your own patients absolutely um, from a primary care standpoint, I have started counseling on fer- fertility in general. If someone has questions, I'm much more educated about options as well. Um, and then from like a personal standpoint, um, I think there are, I think when we're nervous or when we feel a loss of control, there are sides of us that come out that we aren't, aren't typical. That's not our foundation. I went through those and I remember emailing my doctor at like midnight with these random questions and I'm looking back and I'm like, I would never normally do that. So when I receive questions like that from my own patients, I really, I I find myself already being an empathetic person, but now even more so I really put them, like I've been in that space where I don't know what's going on, what's going to happen. All I want was answers. So I am definitely more understanding from that standpoint. So... I'm curious because, you know, preterm labor, cycles, anxiety, trauma, mixed feelings. How did you push forward in this chapter of your life? There were a lot of grounding things. I think starting our second cycle, I was in a much better mindset. So, I mean, the devastation, the grief, the loss was we all went through. I, I took time off of work. Let me just add that in there. This entire time, I still worked every day. The only time I took time off was to recover from an egg retrieval, and I went back up on Monday. And I never, and unless I had a transfer, I never canceled clinic. And I would actually work extra hours to accommodate patients that were canceled. I mean, I I worked myself to the bone. So um, before my pregnancy loss, I had some bleeding. And so um, I had my doctor, my IVF doctor, look at me and say, Laura, I know you. I am you. You need to take time off. You've invested way too much time and money and emotion into this. This is a threatened pregnancy. You need to take time off. And I took those words to heart. I called my manager that day in the parking lot crying, bawling, saying that I'm going to take four weeks off. And in that time is when, you know, the loss happened. So I, I continued my time off and it was probably the best thing I've ever done. Just really allowed me to acknowledge my feelings, go through whatever I needed to go through. And then on the flip side, 
reach back to my foundation of gratitude and mindset shifts and okay yeah this loss happened but gosh what 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 can I turn to to continue going this is this doesn't define me infertility or whatever we went through it doesn't define our marriage even though it seemed like it for a couple of years mm -hmm. but let's change that let's let's change our approach to everything let's learn from what we went through and again deep down both of us were like we're 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 good right now. We're we're good, and and I think that decision whether to continue to take a break or to stop completely just truly comes within. I mean, no one can tell you what's right or what's wrong. It's just something that we were on the same page about, and mm -hmm. it's not a popular decision, right? We didn't really no, but it was right for you. It was absolutely right at that, the time. Absolutely, it know. was definitely what we needed. <laughs> well, and I will say this too: your daughter Gia is beautiful. <laughs> she's a little you. mini you. She's, she's a smart so little cookie cute. too. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. She was telling us all about her kindergarten oh, projects. Yeah. <laughs> she is so darn cute. Thank you. She's um, a big personality. But no, I think this is such a. I love this story and and that you share it so beautifully on Instagram. I read so many of your posts, and I think that. I know how many women that you affect. I mean, and partners too. Um, I think so many people go through it. And so you sharing that I know is such a, an amazing light. For someone who is not in the medical field and might be going through something like this, do you have any tips for them? Yeah. So the first one was about switching doctors. Um, I've had a lot of followers actually reach out to me about how uncomfortable they felt with their IVF doctor, their fertility physician, which... Um, and they continued, they, they were scared to switch. They were yeah. scared that, I don't know what the fear was, but uh, first and foremost, if you don't feel comfortable, I mean, this is such a sensitive, vulnerable topic and medical condition, please be comfortable with the office, with the physician. I mean, you're going to, you guys are going to be best friends for a while um, until the end result happens. Um, secondly, I, I really want to make sure everyone knows that this pretend timeline that we all make for ourselves who, I, I don't know what it is according to I could right. hug you for that yes <laughs> As someone I'm 35 and single and I feel yeah. like yeah but yes who's please making these yeah that's no. I continue but to we ask feel myself. it so or much this, like, structure journey you're supposed mm -hmm. to have yes and and growing up that's what I that's what was just enveloped oh. in I mean yeah like these are the check marks and then that's it you're done I've met a lot of those check marks and I'm still like, okay, now yeah, what's next? Yeah. And so for all of the, the couples that are going through this and, and are trying to rush through things because of age or because of these check marks or timelines, let go of the timeline, please. Nothing, IVF or infertility doesn't listen to your timeline and, and it's okay to let go of the control and let go of all these feelings that you have attached to that control. It's something that you need to understand. This is strictly statistics and probability. That's literally, that's what it is. And that's what your doctor is going through. So it's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's nothing that your doctor is doing wrong. It's important to just let go a little bit and then have some, a foundation to come back to. Knowing that there is a certain percentage that this may not go through, what is your, I don't want to say backup, but what are you going to depend upon to get you through these t difficult times it's not easy and even if you do go through the pregnancy say you get pregnant there's a whole pregnancy you need to get through okay. to have a happy healthy baby so it, we're not out of the woods and so there's all these thoughts that go through our heads but again what's your foundation ours was gratitude ours was perception that we every time something happened we're just like okay well at least 
we do have X, Y, and Z, even if it's through gratitude journaling or meditation or mindful, whatever you want to call it or whatever method you want to do it through. Um, it's so important to have that before you even start. What about from your end? This is, I, I don't know why I just was thinking about this, but I think the first thing is, um, I think you really need to understand that you're going to learn about your partner in a way that you never thought. Like I, we've been together I don't know how many years since 2003 right it's a long time <laughs> <laughs> most people think going through med school and residencies and fellowships is enough of a yeah. Yeah. like yeah. bonding thing oh, and yeah. vulnerable time but this is a next level this is next and, and totally. in many ways i don't think and i told i tell this all the time i cannot tell you how impressed i am by just her right mm. I, and i don't My say heart. i don't mean to say that by <laughs> like to go through this I'm sitting there thinking, my God, like the fact is I know her. I know what mm-hmm. she's afraid of. She's terrified of these things. I don't like needles. The needles. <laughs> the, everything. Just and just boom, boom, enduring, enduring it. And you just see your partner in a completely different light. One thing. And then you see them if it doesn't work out. And the one thing I've always said is, you know, in even going back to medical school, when you ask about, you know, is there a competition, things like that, there was there was this, okay, you know, Sanjay would do things and it would you know, he wouldn't study as much and he'd do okay. And I'd look at Flora and she'd study three times as hard and do well. But I've always looked at that and I tell my daughter this is like, you need to be that. You need to have that that edge, that ability to kind of pursue through struggle. And looking at her now, being able to go through this stuff, I see her in a, in, not in a different light, but I'm impressed and just overly impressed and overwhelmed by how she has that. And I look at that and I look at that and that's strength to kind of say, oh, I shouldn't be complaining about these things. I, I need to get some of that, <laughs> get some of that part of her to get through yeah. things. So you, I, I will say I was not prepared <laughs> to uh, see this part of um, what it meant to go through this journey, not not from what I went through, but to kind of learn this about uh, my partner. And I think that's been fantastic. Even now with this, I, I was of the mind of social media. I don't want any, to do anything with this. It's like post a couple of pictures. Great. And when she started doing this, I was like, oh, God, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Are you gonna now be you're on these... a podcast Are you going to be just pointing at pictures with you dancing different things? Yeah. And... Yes. Yeah, apparently. Now yes. you're in it. Now you're in it. But I sit there and I find myself reading her posts and, like, yeah. I'm blown away. I mean, this is just beautifully written. And, you know, it, it's it's incredible the power that she has to kind of – and a lot of folks have to just kind of tell their story in a way. And that's that message is important. Beyond anything else, you get like you said, no one's reading peer-reviewed journals. You're reading high-quality things like this, and so I, I don't know, I don't know if that was the question, but I just was thinking about this as she was talking, and I just, it's amazing. You know what I'm excited for, Sam? What? Hot girl summer. Say less. I love me a hot girl summer, and I am prepping for that right now with Just Thrive Probiotics. It is taking care of my gas, my bloating situation, indigestion, my old age heartburn that's happening and one of the biggest benefits is skin mm. so the changes in my skin Same. are starting to show since i've started taking it and i am locked and loaded for skin hot sleep your mood all the yeah things. we know my mood needs <laughs> all the help we can get so thank you for that yes all right a little bit about the products you guys they have 100 survivability once digested they are vegan 
non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut and gluten-free as well. They are clinically proven strains for leaky gut with nine other ongoing human clinical trials. They are powerful immune and brain support. Say goodbye to your uncomfortable bloating, embarrassing and gassy leaky gut. And guess what? We even have a code for you guys, the selfie listeners. If you head over to justthrive.com, use code selfie15, you will get 15% off any order. Head over to justthrive.com, use code selfie15, justthrive.com, code selfie15. All right, you guys, let's get back into the show. Do you feel like your Instagram was therapeutic? Absolutely. It still is. It was just, last week was um, National Infertility Awareness Week, and it's always a tough week for me because, and I, I wrote this on my social media stories too, that it, when I write about infertility or my infertility journey, it's very different from uh, speaking about it. Writing, I, I, have, I really have to put myself in a mindset of what where I was back then, and it's not something that I'm super proud of or that I really ever want to go back to. But I, I know other women are in that moment right now of just complete despair and they think that everything is over. And here I am on the other side, not really getting what I wanted to when I started the whole journey to begin with, saying that it'll be okay. And so it's, it's tough. It, it does take a lot of energy out of me to go back to that space and truly write like from the gut. And so, yeah, it has been very therapeutic. Um, and just, you know, I, I got into social media to connect. The numbers and all that stuff is one thing, but really to connect with other people who um, are going through what I went through or still are. And um, knowing that someone else, especially, I mean, I've had so many South Asian women specifically reach out to me with things that their family members have said, things that their significant others have said. It's just there's a different sense of isolation when it comes to infertility and um, just to have a, a sense of camaraderie and, and a sense of community. It was just it was so, so important. It's such a it's such an amazing community just overall. Are there questions that people ask that would be triggers for someone oh, going yeah. through this? I'm curious, like what to because I even think about, I, I have a good girlfriend who went through IVF. She actually now has a beautiful daughter, but I think, she, I don't remember how many rounds she went through. And I realize now I may have asked her questions that were probably triggering. Are there things that you maybe could suggest to someone to not say or ask? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think um, everyone's triggers are different. So just overall, family planning, unless you know the person, unless you guys are in a private conversation, family planning conversations and questions are just not okay. They're not okay in just regular social settings. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I was just with Gia at the park and I would have a random person come up to me and say, oh, does she have siblings? And I would say no. And then that would lead to, oh, you should give her a sibling. Yeah. Thanks. Why didn't I think (laughs) of that? Yeah, right. And I'm like, oh, wait, let me. Can, do you know where I can get one? From yeah, her? I'll, I'll go yeah, buy I'll one. I'll go right buy one right now. now. Yeah, I'll just pick one up. And yeah. Costco. Seriously, I, I used to respond. Just buy a six pack. <laughs> Maybe not a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think anything overall, just family planning questions in general, regardless of whether you have children or whether you're married or whether you're not. I mean, there's all of these, all this pressure. 
about, okay, you have to have X, Y, and Z in order to have a kid. Okay, now you have a kid. When's the next one coming? Mm-hmm. Or if you have a lot of kids, are they all yours? Yeah. Are you sad that you didn't have less? I mean, I have friends with, you know, three, four kids being asked, are they all yours? Are you their nanny? Do you wish you had a different gender? I mean, all of these ridiculous questions when in the end it's just like mind your business mind your yeah. business it's or like business. they're good and if they're not good that's again none of your business yeah. and so first and foremost the family planning question secondly i think um uh if someone is going through infertility and they have a unsuccessful transfer or a miscarriage or whatever even if they're not going through fertility issues um you know the the at least the at least you have one or at least you know you can get pregnant the at least statements uh-huh. are are a piercing i think oh. they they truly hurt because that's like a dagger it is it is even in my case like whenever i had people say at least you have a child i know that and i'm grateful for her well, that's a conversation between you and your partner that you guys yes. can be, like you said, you guys practice a lot of gratitude mm-hmm. and that's okay for you guys to express together, Absolutely. but to have a stranger give you, yeah. tell you what you should be grateful for right. is uninvited. Absolutely. Yeah, and it negates what you're advice. going through. It negates what we as a couple have gone through. It mm-hmm. negates what we're feeling. And that's why I said it's so important to acknowledge your feelings. It's okay to have guilt, to have resentment, to have anger, to have frustration, all these negative feelings. It's okay to experience that, sit in it, and then move on. But to have someone negate what you felt mm-hmm. is is very incredibly hurtful. Um, I, I think other questions are, you know, when are you going to have kids? When is the next one coming? I think um, – you should give them a sibling because only children grow up weird. That was a very common comment I got. Um, all of those. And again, I, I used to answer all that with a lot of anger and sarcasm. But again, I, I kind of moved that to education. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone asks me and they press, I will tell them like, hey, I actually tried and it didn't happen. And you'd be surprised how many wonderful conversations I've had with complete strangers about infertility. And if they didn't feel comfortable, they learn their, well, I hope, they learn their lesson before asking something so personal. If they Foot and mouth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Time. And if they weren't ready for the true answer, then they shouldn't be asking. Um, so I think it's more important to know what to do in someone with someone that is going through fertility and just to know that um, you support them, that you love them, um, that, you know, offer I don't know, offer a meal train or something, you know, something, one less thing off their plate. Uh-huh. Um, I know my friends did a beautiful job <laughs> supporting us. None of them had gone through infertility, but just the simple verbiage of Flora, I love you. And regardless of what decision you make, like you got this, we're here for you. They sent me a care package with like heating pads and Wonder Woman band-aids. That's something Tori would do. Tori's through my care package super queen. cute. And it was just, you know, it showed that they cared. I love flowers. I had like, four dozen flowers show up on my doorstep like little things like that right nothing's gonna fix the situation but just telling someone that you love them and that you're there for them regardless of what they decide what they're feeling is so powerful and then there's a bunch of stuff on etsy and stuff like that if you want to you know that's really neat give gifts and i think sometimes too people look at oh, well, I had this one conversation with a friend and they don't mind if asked questions, so then it's okay to ask this or vice versa. And it's like just because you have an ex- even your own experience doesn't mean 
or because maybe they're struggling with it themselves, they'll be pushy on questions. And I've just seen that with different friends. Like Tori and I have a lot of the same friend groups and we've seen multiple people go through it and their ways of some are very like vocal and will take to social media about it and be open and other people are very private with it. And you kind of just have to understand that everyone's individual too. Yeah, I think that's and such doesn't an doesn't want to handle things the same way. Absolutely. It's such an important point. Everyone's triggers, everyone's preferences are personalized. And so I, I have a lot of patients, no, sorry, a lot of followers that also reach out to me that I'm not ready to open up. And I'm like, you don't have to. Yeah. No one's asking you to. Yeah. This I'm an open You're book. You're like, this is my, yeah. my, exactly. This is my journey. Exactly. Right. This was therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Writing for me helped me heal. Connecting helps me heal. Talking about it helps me. But if that's not for you, that's okay. But fi- find what find your foundation, mm-hmm. though. Find what, what you need to go back to to help you get through this. And if it's not sharing completely okay, everyone's different. Everyone's triggers are very different. What's it like being um, a healthcare provider in the social media space? It has been a lot of fun. I've I made think a so too. lot of good friends. Uh, surprisingly, I had a similar um, – impression of social media before I got into it very similar to Sanjay's like oh rolling of the eyes they just want attention they're just like here for the numbers game and and some are and that's completely okay um but I, it's been a lot I've made such great amazing connections like you guys yeah. um and I've we found friends that we actually yeah. get along with and our yeah. families get along and it, it we take vacations together I mean and then when someone asks, how'd you guys meet? And we're like, oh, social Instagram? And like, it's so much Instagram. a new thing. If you're in for the numbers and if you have a different goal, more power to you. But no, the a lot of people aren't. Yeah, it. and it's just nice to make genuine connections. So it's been really cool. And it's been really powerful. I mean, a lot of my patients have come back to me and be like, was that just you dancing <laughs> and talking about COVID? I'm like, yeah, that was me. And they're like, I learned a lot. <laughs> so I think education, inspiration, you know, and just a, a little behind the scenes of look on – Someone who's yes. a full-time doc married to another doc with a crazy kid. and I'm obsessed with it. Managing everything. I just think I appreciate other specialties, yeah. other areas Learn of health care so much more by connecting with this community, though. And even from this podcast, I feel like I have learned so much. So I think I've even become a better like nurse just based on the connections and relationships I've made. Yeah, that's really important. I, it's funny because I've even learned, like I've gotten to know a lot of uh, dermatologist on on this platform and I've learned so much like hook them up stuff and <laughs> like, it's like information I pass along to my patients yeah. and yeah. it's just fun to like have yeah. that access Resources, to information companies or the, yeah I just I love it I think it's such a great space yeah I think and it's it the tool you that make. you make what you, Tori and I preach that so mm-hmm. much it is what you make it yeah although it is strange walking through Trader Joe's and having somebody saying Sanjay <laughs> Uh, See, yeah. people have been saying talking oh, no. about you since high school. You've been on people's radar since high school and yeah. college. They follow, they follow floor, and they. Well, now they're gonna recognize you. <laughs> they're go. they're like that pretty Indian boy from <laughs> high school in Arizona. <laughs> he is quite handsome. No, I know. I told Sanjay a couple. I don't know when was it, a couple of months ago. I'm like, you better make your profile public, and you better do some. He is yeah. such a get good out those pearly white yeah. teacher. He's yeah. such a good teacher. Um, so I'm just curious. Um, how do you guys balance all of this? Being doctors, parents, these crazy professionals, you got social media, you've got everything going on. How do you, is there balance in your life or is there? Yeah, I, I do want to say balance is an interesting word <laughs> because it, it sometimes implies things are always exactly balanced. And I think it's always like a constant adaptation and push and pull and pivoting, especially 2020 was constant pivoting of like, 
all right, what do we do now? What do we do now? How do we make this work? How do we stay safe? How do we stay healthy? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what just any relationship, quite honestly, is, is constantly adapting to the other person's development, the growth, you know, figuring out what to do with the kid. And then, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, communication adaptation is so, so important. And I think, especially as of late, I think we've realized it's not always 50-50 all the time. It's constant, like, okay, where is she falling and where can I make it up? And where is he falling and where can I make it up to make sure this runs as smooth as possible? I think an equal partnership doesn't necessarily mean 50-50. Yeah, it means what works for us. Yeah. And if that's that you have to give 70 here and yeah. I can only give 30 here, but it's because I'm giving 80 over here, like, you have to figure out what works for you. And that an equal partnership doesn't necessarily mean 50-50 and everything. And I think two physicians, if anything, are going to be the true, like, testament to that. And we outsource a lot. Right. Which we don't do it all. Yeah. So whatever we find painful to do, like laundry, um, we, we outsource. And that's okay. Yeah. There's no shame. I'm a queen of I'm here for that. Meal prep. You can't, you don't outsource laundry. We do. <laughs> well, okay. I do the laundry, but someone else folds it and puts it away. Um, okay. So are you cooking on date nights? Yeah. I, I love to cook in general. So, um, you know, I think Flora in the last few years has really gotten into cooking. Um, well, when you're in those long cases, right. I got to make dinner. And, I mean, it's out of necessity. It just so who's happens. the better cook? Oh, Sanjay, oh, okay. hands down. That's not even a competition. What's your favorite thing to make? I, I love to cook all kinds of things, but my dad has a dish called biryani which is like this meat and rice dish that he just is known across the world for <laughs> so I, I when i cook that that's my 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 day where i'm enjoying and just cooking it and, and loving it um, the other thing flora's mentioned is that if i'm stressed if i have tons of different things going on suddenly i'll be out there grilling and cooking and we'll have a ton of stuff in the fridge as a stress what's your favorite thing to grill Ooh, steak <laughs> I, not you know a sunday or saturday with sun out oh. grilling mm -hmm. just and the time to do it oh that sounds just, good for dinner tonight it's a sunday right we're gonna now. come over Sunday's yeah we're inviting ourselves over yeah. we'll bring over. the cocktails <laughs> <laughs> i got the snacks he has the steak Perfect. we're good we're, we got Done. it covered yeah and gia could do desserts oh. we'll do desserts with her we'll make cookies or something Suddenly she'll start oh, she would yeah she's mm. a sugar fiend <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, you guys. This was so much fun. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for having me. I feel us. like I got a lot of marriage tips out of this. <laughs> Jacob, old Jacob should be grateful. Yes. Also, side note, you're a lot more natural than Jacob is behind the mic. Oh. <laughs> Sam knows. I've seen Tori yell at Jacob before when we had him on one of the episodes. He was a little fidgety, and she was like, stop. Go take a walk. <laughs> Go do a few laps. Come like, back. Get it's get it out. Nerve wracking. I don't know. Something about the getting behind the mic made him all nervous. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Sanjay did well. Yeah, did well. yeah. And these but... cocktails you have in front of us isn't. Yeah. <laughs> we like to liquor up. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so where can everyone find you? Give yourself a shout out. Yeah. So I'm primarily on Instagram. My uh, handle is at doctor underscore flow sinha. Um, doctor, which is dr. And um, I have a website coming up, and I'm also working on a YouTube channel. So we got a lot of exciting Love things it. in the line. 
Um, I just need to find some extra time in the 24-hour day. But yeah, it's outsource it. (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly, I am, but I'm still. (laughs) No, but a lot of exciting things coming up. So, what's um, the plan for the YouTube action? Yeah, so my vision um, is to have a more of an inspirational platform based off of my experiences. So, as a uh, student, from a student perspective, from an attending perspective, from a IVF warrior perspective and how can others really learn from my experiences? How have I learned and how can you carry all those lessons over to just everyday practical obstacles? So that's the vision. We'll see how well, the... we can't wait. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be exciting because yeah. I already feel like I learned so much from this episode. I know. <laughs> in general. I know. Well, stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We can't wait. And then where can everybody find you? I'll be in cath lab one. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I um the only the real social media presence I have is with iapaids.org is our website. Sanjay does have a public social media profile at Sanjay Sinha MD. Okay, okay here there we go. Wifey to watch you blow up the, up in right? the next year, and hopefully we'll start posting on there soon. Yeah, yeah. I kind of just want to start posting things I cook. That's you could do idea. that too. Yeah, I think it's also cool to realize like. We're humans. Yes. Yes, we're doctors, we're nurses, we're whatever, but we're human beings and we have yeah. lives outside of work and we yes. have hobbies and interests. Yes, it's I think it makes it relatable. And, Absolutely. Um I feel like leading by example is actually kind of a cool thing in the sense of mm-hmm. like this is how I live my life and I don't know. All right, you guys. Thank, thank you guys so, so much you. for your time. We thank loved you. having you here today. We thank appreciate it. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Flora and Dr. Sanjay. You guys, we just loved having you on and we hope all of you, the selfie listeners, enjoyed this episode. As always, make sure you guys are following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Check the link in our bio. We have all of our amazing links there for you guys. You can find everything under there, our link to the booking Bali trip, all of our merch, the podcast episodes, all of our affiliates and sponsors. Yeah, all the goodies. And then you can head over to www.selfiedpodcast.com. Check out all of our episodes there as well. Make sure to rate and review. Download, subscribe. Thank you again. We appreciate the support so much. And if you do leave us a review and put your Instagram handle in it, we will send you out our swag bag. Yeah, we're actually sending some out this week, you yes. guys. So, so get, get them excited. in. Hit those five stars all the things and make sure you're following us on our instas that's at nurse tori and at hey samantha with two a's and we will see you next week bye bye